Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Uh, if I see middle schoolers and I'm walking down the street, I cross. I go there on the sidewalk. I cross the street to avoid them. That's why I could never be a teacher because I would be scared that if I like went back and taught middle school or high school that mm -hmm. they would roast the hell oh, out of me. You know they would roast the hell out of you. I had a middle school teacher. Uh, she was our English teacher. Yeah. And she evidently didn't know how to apply lipstick. So like <clears throat> she would, it was just like all over her lips and then like kind of like on her upper lip oh no um i don't know if she was like overlining her lips or something but it just it looked awful um wow that's why i just wear like a very light lip gloss if anything at all i just put vaseline on my lips just to lick keep them a little bit <laughs> put vaseline on my lips during the winter to keep it from getting chapped and that's about it well we know i like to be crusty as hell <laughs> I typically don't use anything. That's even true. Somebody on TikTok yesterday got roasted to hell for having like a chapped spot on her lip. And she got so offended. She was like, I didn't know that my crusty lip was so <laughs> offensive and ruined your day. <laughs> yes. Taylor's. So both me and Taylor experienced very chapped hands during the winter time. But there's a distinction between her and I. I will throw some lotion on. Or, you know, put some Vaseline on my knuckles and then sleep with my, uh, some, my hands and some socks. Taylor doesn't do any of that. Uh, when she got engaged, her Ooh. she got engaged in December. And the picture, it looks like she went bare knuckle boxing minutes before she got engaged. Look, I gotta let these bitches know what's up. <laughs> you see me in the streets and you see these crusty, bleeding hands, you'll know not to mess with me. <laughs> Um, but hey, welcome back to This Is Gonna Sound Weird. I'm Sydney. And I'm Taylor. Um, and this week's theme is based on a true story. So for this theme, you know, it could have been anything. As long as a movie has been based on it. So it could have been paranormal or true crime. We really weren't picky. As long as it, a movie was based off of it. I personally went true crime. I also went true crime. Because our last two stories were kind of paranormally. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I have to play to that true crime audience. I know y'all were missing it. <laughs> you were missing us making probably... Poorly <laughs> thought out jokes about true crime. It's just a coping mechanism. It is. Uh, I was telling Taylor earlier today, I said, yes, uh, if you tell me anything that is like off-putting or traumatic, my first instinct is to like crack a smile or even a laugh. Um, I, the way I see it, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Well, the first time we had like one of those code red drills when I was in elementary school, <laughs> um, I never got in trouble in school. I was like a goody two-shoes all the time. But the first time we had one, you know, they close off all the lights, the doors, and they tell you to go sit and be really quiet. Well, me and my friend Anna just busted out laughing. Like, I'm talking ridiculous amounts. And the teacher was like, oh my god, you've got to be quiet. And you know, the principal comes and knocks on the door. <laughs> She was yelling at us. It was not a good time. And then I think I probably cried after that because I got in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just like, like literally, this is a bad example. But like, so I was watching um, The Golden Girls yeah. with my MAGA, who is my grandma. We call her my MAGA. Uh, last night, and you know, the Golden Girls theme song comes on. 
after it plays, it's just terrible. My manga goes, that always reminds me of my late friend, Connie. And I was like, why did you say that? Old people love talking about their dead friends. Yes. And I was like, I didn't want to laugh, but it was like one of those moments where I was like, the the ends of your like lips just sort of kind of curl up. And you're like, oh, God. The question is, how did she look at her funeral? Old people love to say after somebody's funeral, they'll come and they'll be like, well, you know, uh, Maggie just died. She looks so good. Oh my gosh, she looks so good. She just looked like she come right out of that casket. <laughs> That's what my grandma says every time. I don't remember. Like, she didn't mention anything about her appearance, but she definitely said that they played the uh, the Golden Girls theme song at her friend's funeral. Look. <clears throat> Oh. And I was like, do you want me to change the program? <laughs> I don't know, for real. And she was like, no, this was her favorite shit. All right, so I think, we'll, I think we should just go right into the stories. Mine is fairly long, just a heads up. Mine is fairly long as well. Um, so mine is on Danny Rollins, a.k.a. the Gainesville Ripper. Are you familiar with this story? I am not familiar. Are you back in Florida? Oh yes. my god. <laughs> um, I think you actually already told me this, but I, I forgot. I did. So me and Taylor were very paranoid about whether or not we were going to have the same story this week. Um, but we didn't want to tell each other what story we were doing, so we were giving each other hints. And I was like, well, mine's in Florida, obviously. Um, a theme that you will see time and time again is my obsession with Florida. Florida is the Australia of America, that, yeah, I all can agree with the, that. the crazy wild animals between like snakes and gators that want to kill you, and then people want to kill you, and they have Disney World. So like, yeah, it's, that's the only thing I can give them that's worth a shit. Okay, Florida, I ain't about it. Hot, sticky, gators, snakes. <laughs> Meanwhile, I love Florida. Uh, gators love it. Disney love it. You know, I like Disney. I've only been once, but... Yeah, you're wearing a Disney World shirt today. I am. Um, so mine's on the Gainesville Ripper. And I'll I'll go ahead and tell you the story. And then uh, I'll kind of... I'll tell you... I'll maybe let you guess what movie is based okay. off at the end. I don't... You know, I don't watch very many movies, so I probably will not even know. Hmm. Well, maybe you will. I couldn't say. Maybe. All right. So a lot of the information I got from... On this story was from Wikipedia, obviously, uh, and a documentary that I found on YouTube that's entitled "The Gainesville Ripper," Danny Rollins. It's produced by Discovery, mm. so uh, if you're wanting to watch it, I think it's fairly old. So my first instinct was to refer to him throughout the story by his first name, yeah. But his name is Dan or Danny, and that sounded very friendly. Okay. And the <laughs> The more I read up on him, I was like, oh, absolutely not. Okay. He he does some of the worst things I have ever heard. Uh, <laughs> like, we're going to get into it. It's fucked up. I feel like, and I so, don't know if I've ever, I feel like I've heard of it, but I can't You might not remember. know the details of it, yeah. but it is horrific. So I'm going to refer to him as Rolling. The okay. entire okay. story, just so a little background on him. Danny Rowling was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, on May 26, 1954. 
His father was a police officer who pretty much, from the time he was born, made it known that he didn't want him as a son. He was an unwanted baby. I think, you know, the condom slipped up. Oh, God. (laughs) So, his father frequently abused him, his mother, and his brother. And in one instance, his mother actually was hospitalized after claiming her husband tried forcing her to cut herself with a razor blade. Which is so fucked up. Yes. And uh, his mother continually made attempts to leave her father, but always returned. So from a very young age, he was he was dealt a pretty shitty hand, mm-hmm. similar to what we saw with Eileen Warnos, that they both were introduced to violence at a very young age by someone in their immediate family or extended family. So as a teenager, Rowling was arrested several times for robbery and was caught spying on women, like, through women's windows, trying Mm. to see them undress. Into his adult life, Rowling had trouble holding down a steady job, and in May of 1990, he attempted to kill his father during a family argument, resulting in his father losing an eye and an ear. The incident with his father was in May of 1990. Flash forward several months, it's August of that year, the University of Florida, you know, things are cranking back up, students are moving in, classes are about to start in the coming weeks, so very similar to what a lot of students are doing right now, so it's it's an exciting time. So if you're not familiar with the University of Florida, it's located in Gainesville, Florida, and Gainesville's a pretty, like, it's a quiet, small town. All the town pretty much is, is the university. university. In the documentary I watched, they mentioned that the annual homicide rate is one. One. So literally in that whole town, there'll be like one murder. Okay. And it's probably like a robbery. You yeah. Know? It, so pretty safe. Pretty safe. So August 24th of 1990, Rollins broke into the apartment of a University of Florida freshman, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. He climbed the stairs of the apartment to where he found 17-year-old Sonia sleeping in her bedroom. He taped her mouth shut to stifle her screams and then stabbed her to death. Oh. How old is he during this event? Like, is he a young man? He was born in... Middle-aged He was born in 54, so what would that make him? Closer to, like, 30? Okay. 35. Five, maybe? So he's a little bit older. So not a student at the school. No, 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 no. Okay. And we'll get to that later. Okay. So he stabs her to death and she dies trying to fend him off. Uh He then went back downstairs to where Sonia's roommate Christina was asleep on the couch. He taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together behind her back, and threatened her with a knife as he cut off her clothes. Uh He then raped her, forced her face down onto the floor, and then stabbed her five times in the back. And this is the part where I about threw up. Okay. He cut off her nipples and took them with her. Oh, which, as disturbing as a cut-off nipple is, um, you know, Ed Gein, we've heard the story, so I'm, yeah. fam- I'm familiar with the cut-off nipple theme. Yes, um... He didn't make it into a belt like Ed Gein, but I thought it was equally as I was going to say, neither is better nor worse. It was awful. So before leaving, he posed their bodies in sexually provocative positions. He then took a shower and left the apartment. 
which this to me is just so fucked up because you think about these are freshman girls they have just moved in oh my gosh. they have not even started classes yet jesus you know what i mean they probably are they're probably just excited to go to like their first college party yes and one of them was 17 so these are oh my these god are, how do you even well i guess people can go to college a little early if you're real smart yeah well you gotta think about she might have had a later birthday that's true you know we that's have true we have friends that didn't turn 18 until like three months into that is very true freshman year so but so a day later on august 25th rollings broke into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt by prying open a sliding glass door with a kabar knife and a screwdriver. Which I didn't I didn't know what a kabar knife was. No. Um, so I Googled it. So it's a knife specifically for combat. That's what the Marines and people in the Navy use. So it's not just like a kitchen knife. It's yeah. specifically meant for combat. So he breaks into Krista's apartment and found that she was not home. So he decided to wait in the living room for her to return. Mm, that's some, like, BTK shit. Yes. Um, so he he waited, and at 11 a.m., Krista ret- returned home, and Rollings came up behind her and placed her in a chokehold. He then taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together, and led her into the bedroom where he began to rape her. He then forced her face down and stabbed her in the back, which ruptured her heart, killing her. Ooh. And this is where it gets even worse. Okay. He then decapitated her body and then posed her head on a shelf nearby, facing her body. What? He then washed her body and left. Okay. You know, I'm just not even going to... Okay. Uh, so Krista was studying chemistry and wanted to be a lab technician. And co-workers are worried when she didn't show up for her evening shift as a desk clerk at the local police department. Uh-huh. So it was very unlike her to be late or, you know, not show up. So they were worried about her. So they actually sent police over to check on her. Uh-huh. Which is how they discovered her. Which is just awful. Yes. Uh, I guess she was supposed to be a desk clerk, like, overnight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it wasn't until, like, around midnight that they discovered uh, her. Ooh. So, by now, the murders had reached national news, and people in the town were freaking out. Which, I mean, uh, yeah. obviously. Many students were taking extra precautions, such as changing their daily routines sleeping in groups together yeah uh and because this was happening so early in the fall semester some students just withdrew their enrollment or like transferred schools shit i probably would have done that yes i can completely understand that i think about uh when hurricane florence hit yeah a lot of like a lot of students who went to uncw yeah they just transferred out or they just dropped because you gotta think like the first couple weeks of your freshman year are some of the most crucial. It's when you meet most of your best friends. This is true. And honestly, if you don't get a good, like, if you're not able to focus on your schooling in that first couple weeks, like, the whole semester is shot. That's true. So I can definitely see, like, my parents would have pulled me out in a minute. Yeah. Good luck to these uh, coronavirus college freshmen. Oh, my God. I guess I technically am one, kind of. You're in law school. I think yeah. it's a little different. Yeah, if y'all thought this southern accent meant that I was a dumbass, you were wrong. 
I'm going to be a lawyer one day. <laughs> I mean, she's still dumb about some things, but she read real good. Because <laughs> I was listening to our episodes and I was like, oh my God, I sound like a country hick. <laughs> Which is funny because I feel like I've, like when I first met you, I was like, oh, your accent's really thick. And you're like, oh, what accent? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been shown to me through the years that, yeah, I do have one. So, fuck y'all. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> she's from the mountains. Yeah. She's just a hillbilly. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but yeah, so people in the town were freaking out, and actually all of the stores in Gainesville and the surrounding areas sold out of guns because people were so shook about this whole situation. I would be scared, though, like, even, like, we have guns in the home because we're in the South. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody breaks in, I don't actually think I can defend myself with a gun. Yeah, and I think about, like, with... Um, the Golden State killer. Yeah. How he would know where people's guns were. Yeah. And then so he would hide them or, like, take them. And so when they would go to get it, it would be gone. Yeah. That's what I think, too. I just... If somebody breaks in, I'm grabbing a knife. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I would just try to run just out the door. I don't know. But... I'd say Tex on (laughs) Sorry, Tex. Um, so Sonia and Christina were murdered on Friday and Krista was murdered on Saturday. So that following Monday, the 27th, Rawlings broke into the apartment of Tracy Pauls and Manny Tabado. I don't know. I, okay. I'll butcher any name. Same. Like John Smith. I'll be like, Johan Smythe. <laughs> um, so he broke into their apartment by prying open a sliding glass door, which... I know this probably goes without saying, but please, for the love of God, if you have a sliding glass door in your home, get one of those sticks to go in the door yeah. and, like, to go in the grate. Oh, not man. And not just the ones that they provide you at the apartments, because I know sometimes they'll have one. Yeah. Get yourself a real good one made of steel or something. Yeah, I should have gotten one when Brandon lived at an apartment on the first floor with a sliding glass door. But I didn't. I said, fuck Well, it. you already, you already had where, like, the ghosts were already in that apartment. That's true. So, like. That ghost the... would have fucked them up. <laughs> uh, and I just feel like, you know, the issues were already in the home. The ghost was already there. Who cares? An intruder. The least of your worries. Come on in. Take what you want. I don't have anything good. Our couch is, like, probably third hand. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get in there and we're like, oh, God. <laughs> this shit's gross. <laughs> so, Rolling found Manny asleep in the bedroom uh and so just to re- reference manny is a man okay um and then uh tracy is a woman okay so just wanted to make that distinction that rolling went in saw that there was a man in the home and was like yeah i i need to take him out before he does whatever yeah so after a struggle manny or rolling eventually kills manny Tracy hears this commotion and walks down the hall to see Rowling, uh, and she attempts to barricade herself in the bedroom. But Rowling was able to break down the door. He taped Tracy's mouth and wrists together, cut off her clothes, and raped her before turning her over and stabbed her three times in the back. Jeez. So Rowling then washed Tracy's body and posed her body. But left Manny's in the set, like, in like the, just the way he had murdered okay. him. Which I feel like this is the part that really fucked me up because I'm like, you you think that you are safe living with a man, you know? No. 
uh, you're like, oh, it'll be fine. Your parents probably think it's fine because you're like, oh, you'll be safe. This man will protect you. And that was just not the case. Look, if you have a man's like mine, um, you can scream at them and do anything you want while they're sleeping. They're not waking up. I don't care what they say. They'll be like, I'll protect you, baby. No, you won't. You won't even get the hell up. That's all I gotta say. Look, and I'm a very light sleeper, and so I'm gonna have to be the one to defend the home. Ladies, defend your own shit. You don't need no man. (laughs) Feminist. (laughs) Hell yeah. Women can save the home. So with the exception of Manny, all the victims were petite, Caucasian brunettes with brown eyes. So you uh, almost fit the build. Uh, not quite. <laughs> try again, bitch. I got, hi- eyes. I got highlights. <laughs> I ain't got blonde highlights and I have green eyes. So, <laughs> so close. <sighs> Yikes. I also was not born at this time. That is very true. Or in Florida. Damn. You wish you were. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, and although law enforcement initially had a few leads, police did identify two suspects. One was a University of Florida student named Edward Humphrey, who had a history of mental illness and had scars on his face that were from a car accident. Okay. So they really thought he fit the bill. They were like, oh, which this, again, this shows you just how, like, messed up like, knowledge on mental illness was back yeah. in the 90s. That They were like, oh, he has a history of mental illness. Obviously, he's the one. I'm like, just because you have mental illness doesn't mean you're, that you're going to be violent. Brutally murder people. Yeah. So, his image was shown all over the news, which uh-huh. is, like, so fucked up for him. Because I'm like, that means that people that didn't even know him probably thought that he was this killer. Yeah. And they did later, like, publicly clear him of all charges. But you gotta think, he probably had to leave town. Probably. Withdraw from school because... And it sounds like he had a... With, like, the scarring on his face, he was probably, like, pretty easily recognizable. Yeah. So I could see him, like, being in public and people being like, you're a freaking murderer. Yeah. Uh, Similar to... Sorry, I have, on Drake and Josh, when Josh gets mistaken for the theater fuck. Oh my god. And he has yes. to wear that, like, so, afro wig um, when he goes out. Yes. Probably not the best choice of costume, but... Similar, but a little different. <laughs> a little different. I'm sorry, that's just what I thought of. Um, but we, can, we can go back to the terrible stuff now. Um... Yeah, and I also think, like, since he's got the scars on his face, he probably already has to deal with people being like, yeah. what the fuck? I know. Like, looking at you weirdly in public already. Yeah. So, sometimes I think I have a lazy eye, and I'm like, good God, people think I'm ugly. I've never noticed, so I think you're good. Um, My face is completely crooked, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So, on September 7th of 1998, uh, Rollings was arrested in Osolia, Florida, on a burglary charge. In the course of that investigation, the tools he used during the burglary were matched to the marks left at the Gainesville murder scenes. Okay. So police discovered that Rollings was living in the woods located near the apartment complex frequented by students. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, I don't know. Uh, 
to me, it seems logical if you, there was a murder scene that you would obviously, like, obviously you would look in the apartment, but I would also, like, wouldn't you look, like, in the woods just surrounding, sex. just yeah. to see if, like, someone had dropped anything? I would think so, but at the same time, this was Florida in the 90s, so yeah. I don't know which, even now, crime scenes are not very well. Especially, I feel like, in smaller towns. Yeah. They're just not looked into very well. And I guess also, since this happened so frequently, it was, like, all within the span of, like, four days. Yeah. I think that they were probably just, like, You're probably just, like, fuck. what the hell do we do? So, they should have called the FBI, but... Which, they obviously didn't have too much knowledge about how to go about yeah. murder crime scenes, since they were, like, what was it, murder is, like, one a year? Yeah. So, investigators also discovered audio diaries Rowling had made alluding to the crimes. So, when they Mm. got to his campsite, he basically had, like, a tape recorder where he talked about, like... What he was doing. What he was doing, what he was planning on doing. Um, So, my thought is that, okay, these murders all took place in August, and he wasn't caught until early September. So, I imagine that the town was really losing their shit at this point. Yeah, I would be. Um, there was a serial killer, like, near my town when I was younger, mm-hmm. and he was, like, only on the loose for maybe a day or two. Yeah. And me and my grandma were losing our shit. If it had lasted for any longer, I think I would have just died on the spot. Yeah, I can believe that. Especially, like, in a small town, because you're, like, you're. I feel like... I mean, I guess, like, in this particular town, everything's probably close together because it's a college town. I think about, like, you live out in the mountains. They would never know. They would never know. I spent that night at your parents' house. It's fucking dark out there. It's very dark. So, yeah. A deer could run up on you. You never know. A deer I'm fine with. I've seen a few foxes in the field when I get out of the yard. Like, out of the car when Uh I'm in the yard. I'm not about a damn fox. No. You just look down into the field and there's just like a fuck ton of eyes. And yeah. you're like, God. I'm not sure what that is. I'm just going to make a run for it. <laughs> and hope it doesn't chase me. <laughs> yes. So after Rowling was arrested, police in Louisiana alerted authorities in Florida to an unsolved triple murder in Shreveport, Louisiana, okay. where Rollins is originally from. The murders had taken place on November 4th of 1989. So detectives noted that there were similarities between the Gainesville murders and those of William Grissom and his daughter Julie. This is really sad. And his eight-year-old grandson Sean. Oh no! So the family had been attacked at their home while they were preparing dinner. Oh. So afterwards, Julie's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed, similar to what took place in Gainesville. Rowling later claimed responsibility for those mur- for these murders. So he handed his spiritual advisor, Reverend Mike Hudspeth, a written confession and apology just before he was executed. Okay. So this was like, he was executed in 2006. So he didn't admit to these murders until about a little over 10 years. Until he had found Jesus in prison. Yeah, and so it was literally like he was about to get in the chair to be executed, and he handed this note saying, I did it. Oh my god. What a douche. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) he was a fucking douche. There, I had to say it. Somebody had to say it. I know. It's a hot take. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's going to be kind of controversial. (laughs) 
So in November of 1991, Rowling was charged with several counts of murder, and investigators found that he would remain in the victim's apartments hours after he killed them. Oh, God. So he would kill them, and then he would later mutilate the bodies. And they were able to determine this by how their, like, the blood flow. Um, So, like, in the crime scene, you know, if you were to try to, like, mutilate a body after, like, when the person is still dying, their veins are still pumping out blood, so there would be blood more everywhere. So when he went to, like, decapitate them, there wasn't a lot of blood surrounding the body. I was wondering. Um, And they were, so that's how they were able to determine that they had been dead for a while before they did that. Uh, Which is again very fucked up that he was able like it's obviously fucked up he was able to do these things but the fact that he was able to remain in their apartment for so long afterwards and he he would take a shower in their home it's weird to me that all of this happened in an apartment because you would think like in an apartment in the 90s Mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure they're not that well built like, how did neighbors not hear anything? Like, a struggle or anything? Yeah, well, so I know that he did put the tape over their mouths, like, pretty okay. immediately. Okay. But I also would think, like, especially with the murder of Manny. Yeah. The, I don't think he was able to get tape over his mouth. So I don't, and, like, could they not hear Tracy? That's the one that I think really gets me. But, like, with the first murders of Sonia and Christina, yeah. he surprised them and immediately put tape over it. Okay. Um, so, and he got them while they were asleep. So he really took them off guard. Okay. So, but, I mean, even if I, like, if you hear, like, one scream in the apartment next to you, I guess you're not, or, like, a little something, you're yeah. not necessarily going to think, somebody's being brutally murdered beside me. Yes, and you also got to think, like, at our college apartment, we would hear, like, hooting and hollering all the time and we would just be these crazy partiers you know what i mean that is true um so that's just what i think of yeah uh so rolling was brought to trial nearly four years after the murders where he claimed his motive was to become a superstar similar to ted bundy okay i was gonna mention that earlier that these sounded very similar to when ted bundy would when he killed people in Florida, when he did, like, the Chi mm-hmm. Omega murders, mm-hmm. it, it had a similar vibe. That's what I'm picturing is like yes. that. Um, which I'm like, this is the issue. I understand Ted Bundy, obviously very well known. It is a fascinating story, the fact that he was able to trick people. Yeah. Um, and he was able to very much switch. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, we have got to stop fantasizing him like when women are like oh my goodness he's so attractive he's not he's not first off he is a killer you like it's 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 one thing to be like the story is interesting we can learn like obviously people were able to learn a lot about serial killers from how he operated yeah but we can't we can know we cannot glorify him it any point and also the point for me to learn about them like of course we like to learn about them but i feel like in general the point like the reason that cops and they like spent all that time is so in the future they could stop somebody who maybe or yes. find somebody easier you know mind hunter that's why they did it so they could yes. hopefully stop future serial killers like i'm always so fascinated when it comes to serial killers because it's that thing of 
you know, the combination of you know, a shitty childhood or abuse mixed with, you know, mental illness that's unchecked or untreated. Yes. Uh, and how that combines. Because you can have someone who grows up with an abusive a family figure and they don't. Yeah. But it's it's the fact that you know what in what combination of things creates a yeah. murder uh, and which doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's fascinating. But you know, I don't understand why people idolize He's Ted not Bundy. Hot and using Zac Efron in the movie did not help the situation. It did not help the situation um, because Zac is hot. He is hot and. Everyone loves him. They should have used somebody who was mildly attractive. Yes, but yes, yes. who had a creep factor. Yes. A great example is Ansel Elgort. I know he's very controversial <laughs> yes. right now, but it's also like he's not terrible to look at, but he's also not super attractive. But he also kind of gives me creepy vibes yeah. even before like this all came out. Yeah. Um. Like you can have you ever seen Baby Driver? No, I've only I've, seen, I've definitely seen him in Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, well, terrible and, movie. Hate it for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in Baby Driver, he he just gives me kind of weird vibes, which I think yeah. he's supposed to. But yeah. I think that would be a good example. Is like you know he's not he wasn't Ted Bundy, not super attractive, but also like attractive enough to where you're like, right. damn, this man was a crazy serial killer. Also attractive enough to where a young woman wouldn't immediately be like. Creep alert. Yes. Um, I think it's always interesting, like, when girls talk about, like, I was hit on at, like, a grocery store one time, and I was telling my sister about how ridiculous it was, and she was like, the funny thing is, had you thought he was attractive, that'd be really cute. But since you didn't, he's a creep. I know. And it's it's that very fine line. I know. It, you know, sometimes it, it's sad because, you know, not so attractive man could really be sincere. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh. Fucking creep. And then a really cute man who's actually a creep and a murderer. Yes. Like, oh my god, I just got hit on by the most cute guy at the grocery store. He had a knife in his hand and he was like pointing it toward my neck, but... I think he was just like gonna <laughs> use that to cut vegetables because we were at the grocery store. Yeah, it's exactly that thing. So, in 1994, before his trial could get underway, Rowling unexpectedly pled guilty to all charges. Mm. So, I think he probably was like, fuck it, y'all already know. I know. Like, Um, at that point, what was the point? And I think also it's one of those things, if they plead guilty, then there's, they might get a lower sentencing. Yeah, like a plea bargain. Yeah. So, during his trial, Court TV conducted an interview with Rowling's mother from her home during which his father could be heard shouting off camera. So they they were still together, still a ch- like a, a toxic relationship. Oh my god! So Rowling was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia. Which uh, I did. If you don't know what paraphilia I is, do not. I didn't know what it was. Uh, it's the experience of intense sexual arousal to oh. atypical objects. Situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. Okay. So essentially, you know, he got off by watching these people suffer. Yeah, okay, yes. Which a lot of serial killers have that. I feel like they fit that build. Yeah. So on April 20th, 1994, Rollings was sentenced to death uh, and he was executed by lethal injection at Florida State Prison on October 25th. 
2006. Okay. Uh, this was after the Supreme Court rejected a final effort to appeal. His last meal was lobster tail. Wait, shit. What an asshole. God, fucking dick. <laughs> Um, he sang a gospel hymn, no. but made no statement immediately prior to his execution, uh, which was witnessed by the victims, uh, like the victim's relatives. Oh. Which I do wonder, what gospel hymn? I, I was going to ask you, what was it? it? I didn't see it in anything. Um, was like, it, when we all get to heaven? <laughs> um, I think it's, our God is an awesome God. He but I see, I think that's more of a pop song. It is. I picture him, like, belting I out. I went down to the yeah, river some to shit pray. Like that. Yeah, like some old southern yes. gospel. Could be. So, Janet Freight, a woman who had been raped by Rowling after he broke into her Sarasota home just two weeks prior to the Gainesville murders, was also present to Rowling's execution. And her story was kind of interesting. She she was able to, like, he obviously, like, taped her eyes so she couldn't see him. But I think she kind of talked to him and was able... Uh, So he did rape her, but he didn't kill her. And so she's convinced that because she talked to him... Mm -hmm care out it that that is sort of what made him not do it which also probably makes sense why he his first thing to do was to tape, tape their mouth their tape their mouths when he started to murder people in Gainesville oh um, but she was present at his execution that was so that was the story of the Gainesville Ripper aka Danny Rowling okay do you have any idea what movie that could have inspired? Uh, it's okay if you don't. No, I do not. I feel like, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. So, it inspired the 1996 film Scream. Uh, Have you ever seen that movie? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Pretty sure I've seen Scream. But I, well, I think I've seen it, but I'm not sure. Because obviously I know what happens because it's Scream. But I think I've probably seen parts of it. Yeah. So, Scream... To, uh, it was released in December of 1996. It is my... It, it's one of... It is my favorite horror movie, and it may be one of my favorite movies just in general. Yeah. I think it's very well done. It's very meta yeah. uh, in the fact that it kind of acknowledges that they're living in a real-life horror movie. Yeah. And they make references to movies like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It's very well done. Uh, also, the main character's name is Sydney, so you know, uh, you know, I gotta like it. So why you were named Sydney? Uh, no, so this was it's funny. Wait, you were born like same year? <laughs> I was born at the beginning of 1996, uh, yeah, and this yeah. came out in the end of 1996. Also, she spells her name incorrectly. My name is spelled S Y D N E Y, aka the right way. Okay. She spells her S I D N E Y. I don't like um, that spelling as much. Which I have found that typically men spell their name uh, that way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my grandma seems to think that that is how you spell my name. So, like, on every <laughs> Christmas card and birthday card, it says S-I-D-N-E-Y. Uh, which is, uh, I think you can also tell, like, sometimes people will correct her and be like, that's not how Sydney spells her name. So, you can see she's written a Y <laughs> over, over the, the I. <laughs> Um, but whatever, as long as that check don't bounce, <laughs> keep it coming. Um, so writer Kevin Williamson was inspired by the Gainesville murders and the fact that this small town of Gainesville just 
completely fell into chaos as the murder struck. And in Scream, it's based in this small California town known as Woodsboro. And after the murders and the opening scene take place, the following day in the movie, the town just becomes a complete media circus. Which also, uh, the opening scene features America's sweetheart, Drew Barrymore. So definitely give it a watch if you haven't. I mean, she doesn't last long, but, oh, damn. but her performance is top a- notch. A plus right before she gets murdered. Yeah. So, Scream became the highest grossing slasher film and still remains the highest grossing slasher film with adjusted dollars. Yeah. So, like, it it was technically beat out by uh, the newer version of Halloween, the, Ro- the Rob Zombie movie. Okay. But if you adjust, like... Like inflation. Inflation. Yeah. And it still is the highest grossing slasher um. film. Um, and then it does have some controversy. Obviously, it was originally supposed to... It originally was going to be rated NC-17 because of how violent it is. Yeah. And, and then they adjusted some things okay. and edited things um, to make it that R rating. And... In the years following Scream, it has actually been accused of inspiring some copycat crimes. So, uh, I'll tell you just a few that I found. In January of 1998, 16-year-old Mario Padilla and his 14-year-old cousin, Samuel Ramirez, stabbed uh, Mario's mother, Gina, 45 times. What the fuck? Why? Um, so they became known as the Scream Murderer uh, uh, and fell under intense media scrutiny after the boys claimed to have been inspired by the movies Scream 1 and 2. But the pair eventually confessed that they needed money uh, that would be acquired from Gina's murder to fund a killing spree. So they they murdered her to get money, and then the money that they were going to get, they were going to use that to fund a murder spree that they wanted to go on. And the things that they were going to use that money for included two ghost face costumes. Okay. As well as a voice changer, because um, in the Scream films, the killer like yeah. calls you and he has a voice changer. Yeah. He's taunting you. Um, which I can't imagine that that all could have costed that much. So, were they murdering her to get her life insurance? Like, I assume that would have to be the goal, right? Because well, how just said, Or that she can steal money out of her purse. And I just It just said money, but I'm like... Look, it doesn't make sense it any, way you, any way you slice it. So, people have, you know, kind of said, like, could, like, horror movies be inspiring killers... Um, and during their trial, Madeline Levine, a psychologist who studied the effects of violence on children, stated, There are a whole bunch of reasons why they acted out that way. But did a movie provide a blueprint? Absolutely. Now, on January 17, 1999, uh, 13-year-old Ashley Murray was stabbed multiple times in the head and back, being left for dead by his then friends, Dan. Well, I guess it was then friends. Them assholes. Oh God! Fake friends, Daniel Gill, who was fourteen, and Robert Fuller, who was fifteen. He was saved, though. He didn't die. He did not die. God. So he was found when an elderly man found him 
when he was walking his dog. The pair were dubbed the Scream Attackers after it emerged that they had watched Scream shortly before the attacks uh, and uh, found drawings of the mask, like the Scream ghost face mask, along with their possessions. On May 4th of 1999, following the Columbine High School Massacre... This uh, is wild. Like, I was just thinking in my mind, for some reason, Columbine came into my mind and I started thinking about it, and you just said it, and I had no idea you were going to say that. All I'm saying is our minds are connected. Yes, and I would like... um, So, after the Columbine shootings, they had a lot of, you know, reports, like... Does violent TV and video games, does that affect... Yeah, that's uh, probably why it came into my mind. (laughs) Yeah, so, and I, we will probably do an episode on Columbine because I find that case to be fascinating. Um, Because I think at the end of the day with that particular case, it's again a mental illness that wasn't uh, checked in on. Mm -hmm. But... I think the media likes to say, no, it's definitely not that. It's the fact that these children were watching violent video games. Yeah. uh, And that they were bullied, which wasn't necessarily the case. No. Um, But people still have that image in their head that, oh, these people were, these kids were playing violent video games and that's why they did what they did. Yeah. Um, So it's a very fascinating case. We will probably do an episode on it. But the United States Senate... A committee held a hearing about Hollywood's marketing of films to youth. Okay, yeah. Uh, The committee focused specifically on horror films and the opening scene of Scream featuring the murder of Drew Barrymore's character was shown to the committee as an example of negative media which may be viewed by children. Okay. Which also, my thing is, it was rated R- so children, children probably shouldn't have been watching it. Um, but again, just films doesn't make a murder. No, it doesn't. And even if you say, okay, I've based the way I murdered them off of Scream. Scream didn't make them mur- want to murder somebody, I don't think. Right. I think that it just, I don't know, they saw it and they already had these murderous tendencies mm-hmm. in their mind and they are like, you know what? When I do murder somebody, I think I'm going to do it like this. Yeah, exactly. So, on June 3rd, 2002, a 17-year-old boy lured his friend, who was 15-year-old Alice Boupere, I think it's French, okay. lured her out of her parents' home and stabbed her 42 times. God. He was wearing a ghost face mask. Okay. And that was the last case that I had seen where, like, people had yeah. kind of mirrored the films. But I thought that was interesting that even after that, like, th- obviously Scream was inspired by real-life murders. But yes. then this movie that was inspired by murders. Inspired. Inspired murderers Quote, inspired. Yeah. Murders. You can't see us using air quotes, but no. they're there. <laughs> So, that is uh, the story of the Gainesville Ripper uh, and how it inspired the film franchise Scream. I, that is interesting. I can understand why the, like, they based the movie off mm-hmm. of the Gainesville Ripper. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea about the Scream, like, being used as a inspiring other murders. 
years. Yeah. Because I'm like, there's so many horror movies, slasher movies. And I think one of the main reasons that I think Scream kind of sticks out is because it's it, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it is fantasy. It's a film. Yeah. But it is fairly, like, realistic. Yeah. In the fact that, like, it, it's not like in Halloween where you're running just as fast as you can mm-hmm. and the killer's still able to catch up on you just yeah. by walking. Oh, yeah. Like, this killer is chasing you. It's stalking you. Um, and it, I don't know. It just seems a little bit more realistic, which is why I like it. Yeah. It's also very catchy it's also a little bit funny because you know it's it's 90s the cast obviously amazing yes rose mcgowan fantastic yeah i can see that which i guess is it (laughs) if it's like a well-made movie then it's more likely to strike a chord with you yes than something kind of cheesy and it's like this is a horror slasher film but it's not really something that i could see happening Hey y'all, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Sierra. And we're the hosts of Basic Murder Babes, a true crime podcast. We are best friends divided by 300 miles who call each other every week for girl talk and murder stories while unwinding with some drinks. And we record our calls for your enjoyment. If you love coffee, hard seltzer, nostalgic emo music, saving turtles, Gilmore Girls, murder documentaries, or conspiracies, then you're basic. And you'll love our podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and look for new episodes every Wednesday. So, are we, are we ready for my story? I'm ready for your story. <laughs> um, so, I'm a, my sources, I'm going to go ahead and give them up. I'm trying to make a good habit before I start law school so I don't get sued. I feel that. And also because <laughs> I feel like people will be like, you fucking bitch. You I didn't know. give credit. And nine times out of ten, my my quotes and everything, Wikipedia. Yes. So I did use Wikipedia this time for a little bit. I also used Forty Eight Hours, and then the movie that I, not the movie that uh, my story is based on, is called just called Bernie. And Bernie, Bernie, because the guy in this story his name's Bernie Tita. I think I said that right. In the Forty Eight Hours, that's how he pronounced his own name. Okay. And the movie is starring Jack Black as Bernie. Okay. Matthew McConaughey as <laughs> the prosecutor. Okay. And Shirley MacLaine as the other main character. Okay. And you've probably never heard of this movie. No. It, but it sounds like an interesting <laughs> cast of people. So it was directed by this guy. I think his name was... I have it written down here somewhere. His last name was Linklater. And he's, like, kind of an indie film, like, producer mm-hmm. who lives in Texas. The story takes place in Texas. Okay. And I don't even know if it, like, came out in theaters or anything like that. It was... I found it on YouTube movies. So, it almost seems like you make movies, like, specifically for Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's kind of something like that. Now, when was the movie released? 2011. Okay, so relatively. Yes, relatively I thought you were going to try to... I thought you were going to say, like, this came out, like, in the 90s when Matthew no. McConaughey was just coming out no. or nothing. This was released when these three people were pretty well established. Okay. Which... When I saw the movie and I'd never heard of it, I was like, okay, it has these, like, three, like, big-name actors, but the movie kind of looks like a... It looked odd. It's kind of documentary style. Okay. And it it was interesting. It's a dark comedy, so... Oh, my whole life. (laughs) Anyway, so we're going to start talking about Bernie Tita. Okay. He was born August 2nd, 1958 in East Texas 
to Bernhard Tita and Layla May Jester. So, his early life, not too much information, but the information you need to know. His mother died when he was just two years old in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Both his mother and his father were involved. I think his father was driving. Um, and he didn't die, only his mother did. Okay. And so, after this, the father had a lot of guilt that he survived the crash and his mom didn't. And so, he began drinking heavily. And then, the father died when Bernie was just 15. Also, while a young child at age 12, Bernie says that he began getting molested by his uncle. Oh, God. So, lots of death and pain occurring at a young age. Yeah. Which, we saw that in your story as well. But, the difference between Bernie and old douchebag um, (laughs) was that what Bernie took away from all this was not resentment or anger or anything, mm-hmm. it made him want to help other people kind oh, of in his okay. situation. So similar to like in Law and Order SVU <laughs> when she she decides she's gonna be Yeah. A, uh what is she, a defense attorney? Like, I think what so. The hell something, is she? something like that. You know who the fuck I'm Yeah, I know who talking about. <laughs> but yes, which you know, she maybe have decided to be a defense attorney. Bernie took out of this, he wanted to help others who experience death and loss. So he decided to become a mortician and a oh, funeral director. Yes. And in the, the logical, yes, uh, he learned that after all this childhood trauma, I guess that people, after family members have died, clearly they need comforting. And he thought that the best way to do this would to be the world's like best funeral director. Hey, if you're gonna do something, be the best you can be. And in in the movie, it like starts out where he's in front of a class of, like, future morticians, like, showing them how to fix it, like, fix them up, put makeup mm-hmm. on them so they just look so good. Oh, my goodness. So your grandma will be like, oh, my goodness, she looks so yes. good. Because he looks at the fingernails, he goes, you have to make the fingernails match the person. You can't be giving, like, Miss Jones the fingernails of a mechanic. And so he's pretty much, he's, like, shown as a really passionate about this job. Um, you want to know something funny? So, you know, like, first week of college, everyone's yes. like, what's your name, major, and a fun uh-huh. fact? Someone's fun fact in my English class, freshman year of college, was, yeah, and I'm going to, I'm going to be a mortician. His family owned a funeral home oh. in New Orleans. Okay. Which, Ooh. you know, they got hella dead bitches oh. down there. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I just, that's how I envisioned it. <laughs> They're just laid out in front of the funeral. So, that was his fun fact. And I was like, everyone was like, oh. <laughs> Sir, that was not fun. That was just straight creepy. Yeah. So, well, runs in the family. Well, it didn't run in Bernie's family. It was just his passion and his heart to make dead people look good. Right. And sell a nice casket. Uh, But in 1985, at the age of 27, he moved to Carthage, Texas. Still in East Texas, just this is the specific town we're in. Okay. And he began to work as an assistant funeral director at Hawthorne Funeral Home. Okay. So, pretty much from the moment that Bernie arrived in Carthage, people loved him. He was extremely charismatic, likable. He was was described in the movie and in the 48 Hours as one of, like, the most well-known and liked people in the town. Like, straight up, everybody knew him. Oh, uh, that reminds me a little bit of, like, Ed Kemper. Yeah, How he was very charismatic. Yes. And everyone knew him. Yes. Yeah, and it's kind of like that. Um, he was really active in the community. He led 
choir at church, taught Sunday school. He participated in the community theater. Uh, he like directed a lot of the shows and he starred in most of them. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and so he also ran like a lot of the funerals because they said he was basically an amazing funeral director. Like he would just get up there if like there was a lull or something. He just starts singing a song. <laughs> he was like, in the middle of your grandma's funeral, he was like, don't forget to see the, the community's uh, next performance of Pippin yes. coming out in August. Here's a little ditty for you. Yes. And he was basically just like the shining example of a Southern gentleman. Everybody right. loved him. And he would do anything for anybody. You know, that type. You know the type. We you know live, the type. We live in a Southern town. You know the type. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So Bernie was also really well-liked by many of the older ladies in town and he was very comforting to the widows comforting how <laughs> uh, not not the way you think okay and we'll get to that um so he comforted them you know because he directed their husband's funerals lots of times and right. he would often like check up on them for weeks after their husbands had died you know just make sure they're doing okay bring them a casserole maybe yeah yes yeah in the movie they did show him like bringing food to them which, you know, that's good. You want somebody to check on them. Because especially mm-hmm. if maybe, if they don't have any other family. Mm-hmm. This, or they're living alone. Yeah. If, yeah, if they're living alone, this is probably like the first time they've lived alone in God knows how long. Yeah. So, he, he basically just took his job very seriously. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in it for the money. He was in it, I don't know how much money you make in the field. But I have no he idea. was in it because he loved making dead people's families feel good, basically. And so, one of these widows that he met was named Marjorie Nugent. And Bernie met Mrs. Nugent at her husband's funeral when he was directing it in 1990. Okay. The Nugents were known around town to be very rich because her husband was able to make a lot of money in the oil industry in Texas. Oh, yes, yes. Like Dallas, the TV show yes, Dallas. Yes, so very rich. Um, it was thought that Mrs. Nugent had about $6 million. Oh, my God. And I... um you know, adjusted that for inflation just to see how much that will be today. And today it will be like over $12 million. So this old lady had a lot of money. A lot of money. What's she doing in Texas? Hey, she lives cost, in large? Cost of living has got to be cheaper in She's East probably Texas. Got, like, the biggest house ever. In the, in the movie, the house was fairly big. It wasn't giant, but who knows how big the actual house it's was. Also, I feel like one of those things where like old ladies. They just get to a certain age, and they're like, yeah. all I want is just to sit in my chair, watch my programs. Well, see, Mrs. Nugent didn't really want to just do that, apparently. Mm. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, people around town, though, they thought that Mrs. Nugent was mean, unapproachable. And in the movie, they portrayed her as just a straight-up bitch. <laughs> like, crotchety old stra- woman. Yes, that's exactly and they make it seem like she has, in the movie, they make it seem like she has no friends, no family that she cares about or cares for her. So, basically, it was just her and her husband, and when he died, she was all alone. Okay. Um, but in the 48 hours, her granddaughters tell a completely different story. They say that she was actually a really kind woman, loving, and that they did have a good relationship with her, and she had a good relationship to her family. Okay. But even in the 48 hours, the people in the town still held the opinion that she was a hateful old woman. Well, it might just be one of those things where, like, so, like, my neighbor growing up, my 
like right next to my parents' house. Yeah. He was crotchety old man. Like people, these kids were skateboarding in front of his house when I was younger, and he straight up went out there and said, "If you skateboard in front of my house again, I will kill you." Oh God! So the you know the kids in the neighborhood hate him, but like his like my parents have met his daughter when they she's yeah. come and visited and said like she's like I'm sorry he's just a crotchety old man, but he's got a kind heart. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Some of those things are like. How you act in public and how you might act at your house might be a little bit different. I could also see, like, for me, I would think for her, if you do live in a really small town like that and you have, you people know you have so much money, you would probably be pretty careful about how close you would get to people because people might just be nice to you to Get get in on that money. Yeah. So, despite her reputation in town, though, uh, Mr. Nugent's. Bernie uh, and her became very close. Mm-hmm. So he started visiting her, you know, bringing her casseroles after her husband died. And then they started becoming friends. They actually became so close that Bernie quit working at the funeral home. And he started working for her. Oh. And so he would do stuff, you know, like working around her house, managing things for her. Because she was old. Like, mm-hmm. she was around 80. So okay. she was an, definitely an older lady. Denny's senior discount. She's had it for years. And she's t- a frequent yes. customer. So the two of them started doing everything together. He basically, Bernie had a house, but he pretty much just started living with her. Okay. Um, and so they went on tons of like extravagant trips. So Hell yeah. They would, he said that they would just like fly to New York for a weekend, go to tons of Broadway shows, like just whenever. <gasps> My dream. I know. Mine too. They went to Germany, Scotland, and even Egypt, and a whole lot more places. Which, at 80 years old, that's pretty good. She'd be jet-setting. I mean, my grandma just turned 84, and uh, she pretty much goes from the couch to the bathroom, maybe to the kitchen, and back. Yeah, my maga, she... Love her to death. She does love to beep-bop around, like, a department store, (laughs) but, like... When we go out to, like, lunch and then we decide to, like, walk around, like, we have to park right in front of the, <laughs> like, right in front of the restaurant, right in front of the store. We can't walk a little bit further because she'll be like, oh, God, it's just too much. <laughs> so I could not imagine taking my MAGA to yes. Egypt. Which, in the movie, Shirley MacLaine, she clearly, I don't know how old she is, but she doesn't look that old in the movie, you know? But when I looked up the real picture of Marjorie... She looks like an old woman, just like a typical old woman. Yeah. Um, but Mrs. Nugent was... She's young at heart, though. Yeah, she was. She was basically just showering Bernie with cash mm-hmm. and gifts. She bought him clothes, cars, flying lessons. She even bought him his own plane. What the fuck? They showed that part in the movie, and I was like, that's gotta be fake. No, it was real. <laughs> what? Uh, and he also, like, used some of the money he was getting from her to do good things for people in town, you know? Uh-huh. Help out people in need. He helped out churches, businesses. He was doing good stuff, you know? But the question is whether or not she was actually willingly giving him this money Uh or if he was taking the money from her and stealing it. And if he was kidnapping her to Egypt? Or do we think that that was voluntary? Well, some of that I think was voluntary, but he was also, like, the money he would take to buy other stuff, like cars, clothes, you know, or if he was even somehow, like, making her want to go on these trips. Like, he was like, we have to go on this trip or something like that. Okay. Um, Her family thinks that Bernie only wanted to be friends with Marjorie, 
when she's Mrs. Nugent. I kind of intertwined the names um, because of her money. And this thought began to be really cemented in their minds in 1991 when she filed a new will. And in this new will, she left everything to Bernie. Every single thing she owned. But Bernie said that she did this all on her own. Yeah. And that he never asked her to do anything like that. Yeah. Which I I mean. From the outside looking in, like if you lived in that small town and you know how nice of a guy Bernie is, you're like, oh my gosh, makes sense. Yes. I don't know. And, you know, people in the town, maybe maybe they did think that she didn't have that great of a relationship with her family either, so mm-hmm. they wouldn't have known any different. But the family thought that Bernie was scamming Marjorie and was pretending to be in love with her, which he clearly was not because by his own admission, he is a gay man. All right, there you so, go. So, there was not a loving relationship, but the daughters think that they that he was pretending to be in love with her, and okay. she didn't know that he was gay. He they, might not have gone out and said yeah. it because it was he lived, the South. What, yeah, it was that's Texas. He, <laughs> he lived in Texas in the South, so it, he wasn't open about it. So, I don't even know if he told her. But it's like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Yeah, kind of. And after the changing um, of the will, mm-hmm. the family began to notice that she started acting odd. Okay. And one time they went to visit her in 1994, and she, when they got there, she said, I don't know who you are, uh, and she wanted them to leave. But when they got into the house, they noticed that all traces of their grandpa's, like, photos and everything was gone, and they were all replaced with pictures of Bernie all and right. pictures of her <laughs> and Bernie. And they said that when they got there, it was pretty clear that she, like, thought she was in love with him. It wasn't so just he was a like manipulating her. Yeah, that's what this. they were saying. But Bernie's account of their relationship was pretty different. He said that they were just really good friends, not romantic, and that basically they just enjoyed going on trips together. He said that she wanted to travel and she wanted somebody to go with, mm-hmm. and since she didn't have any friends, that he went with her. Mm-hmm. Which I guess that can make sense. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, from what I understand, sometimes with, like, elderly people, they will, like, when they lose a loved one, they kind of get, like, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something. Yeah. But they don't really, like, they just want someone to hang out with so they yes. don't be lonely. Yes. I know some old people that are related to me, like, on <laughs> old people that are related to me on separate sides of the family, mm-hmm. they started dating after their spouses died. And my grandma was like, look... I would never date again after your papa died. That's just disrespectful. I'm like, well, you don't have anybody to hang out with, so yeah. why don't you quit roasting Ganel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very much like they just want to like not eat alone. So yeah. they, hey, they find a, a friend. I would do it too. Um, but Bernie says that as their friendship progressed, it started to turn toxic oh. in that Marjorie was starting to control Bernie. He said that their relationship was abusive and that she was wearing him down. And one, right. yeah, okay, so once in the movie, this is like the only real thing to where you would, he was trying to make it seem like, I'm trapped, I can't get out, which is kind of silly. What do you think about it? So, once he was trying to leave her house, like, in his car, and she closed, the, like, the gate to the driveway, mm-hmm. and he was like, I was trapped. I couldn't get out. <laughs> and I was like... Do you not have the keypad? I was like, bro, this one's, like, 80. How, do you, how does she have you trapped? You can just hop the damn fence and leave. 
Well, I also just think, like, it's probably, like, a fancy gate. There's probably also, like, a speaker box on the side. Yes. He probably could, he probably could just hit the numbers. But he basically said, he was like, I wasn't physically trapped, but he was, like, mentally trapped. And he didn't want to upset her, which I can understand. If you're in a real abusive relationship, you can't be trapped, even if you're not physically. Right. I get like, it. Through, like, mental yes. abuse, or um, verbal abuse, yes. and, like, but just I just sort of trauma. don't, I just don't think that's it. I honestly don't. So, one day in November 1996, Bernie had gotten so worn down that he shot Mrs. Nugent four <laughs> times in the back with a 22 rifle. What? <laughs> yes. Did you see it going that way? <laughs> I mean, I assumed that he was probably going to kill her. Yeah. Um, But I, I figured it was going to be more like... I don't know, like poisoning. You yeah. Know? Oh, she died of natural causes because yes. she's so old. I definitely didn't suspect him to be so outright with it. Yeah. Uh, so in the movie, it shows him shoot her from a distance. And then once he realizes what he's done, he runs up to her and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just shot you. You know, She's like, I can't either. Which she's already dead at that point. Um, but in reality, he shot her in the back once. And it says once she's paralyzed and falls, he walks up to her, places the gun into her back, and shoots her like two or three more times. So at that point, it's clearly not kind of just a, you pick up the gun, shoot her, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. It's yeah. shoot her, walk up to her, I want I you dead. I want to make sure she's dead. Yeah. And so after shooting her, Bernie places her body in a deep freezer in her own home. <gasps> That is, like, my, like, I think about that every time I see one of those giant chest freezers. Yes. I'm like, a couple, bo- couple bodies in this. I know. And her body remained in this deep freezer for nine months before she was found and it was discovered that she was murdered. Wait a minute. So, you're probably, I wrote this after this since I said, so you're probably wondering, how in the hell did Bernie keep her murder hidden for so long? I am thinking that. I am wondering those same things. Um, well, first off, she didn't really have any friends yeah. in the town. He was her only friend. And by this point, everybody knew that Marjorie and Bernie were really close. And everybody trusted him, you know. So, people started asking, which she didn't go many places. Like, in town, she maybe goes to church or something. Mm -hmm. And so, people at church would be like, where's Marjorie been? Like, is she okay? And he would say, oh, she's just been really, really sick. And she's been in the hospital or she's in the rest home. Okay. And so, people believed him at first. And people believed him because he was kind. Why would he be lying? There's Mm -hmm. no reason. He's never done anything. Um. And nobody knew any, like, nobody knew her well enough to know anything was wrong, really. And some people were getting suspicious, but never suspicious enough to check out the situation. They were, they were like, eh, mama business. <laughs> like, you're in the, like, in the South, it's weird, because sometimes you're like, I need to know everything about this person's life ever. And then other yeah. times you're like... Eh, it ain't none of my business. I don't really want to ask no questions. Yeah, it's also like one of those things, sometimes it's like... You've got the very nosy people, and you've got the other people. Ain't got no business nosing into other people's business. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> They're probably all just, like, speculating with each other, but never... It's a lot of gossiping, but yes. no one's actually saying it. And everybody's probably like, uh, who knows? They all thought she was mean and crotchety anyway, so... And they're also thinking, well, it just ain't right, that old woman hanging out with that young man. True. And so her family, which I don't think her family lived near Carthage. Like, they didn't live in the same town or anything. Yeah. And so at first, they didn't really know what to think. 
because things had been strained between them for the past few years mm-hmm. after that whole thing in 1994. Yeah. They were like, honestly, maybe she just doesn't want to talk to us, and that's why we haven't heard from her. But eventually, after nine months, they decided that they were going to go to her house and search. And they decided to get the police involved. Mm -hmm. So when they got there, one granddaughter, she was like, if she has gone somewhere or, you know, she's not here clearly, but if she's left, she keeps things in her deep freezer. Mm -hmm. And so she knew she was gone to check the deep freezer. Maybe there's like a clue, which... My grandparents keep money in their deep freezer. They oh. said it's cold, hard cash. Yeah. <laughs> it's frozen assets. Yes. And so when they opened the freezer, they found her dead body oh. wrapped in a white sheet. Ugh. It said it took them two days to thaw out her body. To... She probably had freezer burns. <laughs> yeah, she probably did. You need that Ziploc bag. <laughs> yes. And so it took them that long, and then they performed an autopsy, which, I mean, it was pretty clear as to what killed her since it was gunshots. Um, so Bernie was a clear suspect because he was the only person that pretty much talked to her. He, he's like, what? I don't even eat frozen food. Yes. And so he was pretty much arrested immediately and he quickly confessed to killing her. And he said in the documentary, he was like, I was relieved to be caught. I was just so relieved. And I was like, bro, bro. <laughs> uh, if you, if you wanted to get caught, what made you wait nine months? Which, for me, that is the whole, like, thing in this story I can't get over, is that he he clearly knew that something was up because he was, like, how long was he going to keep her there? Yeah. In the freaking freezer. Uh, It's interesting that he kept her in there for nine months, because I can understand keeping her in there for a little bit, but I'm like, do you not think to, like, hide it somewhere else? Like, and in the, like, and it wasn't even, like, locked. When they opened it, it was just, like, pieces of tape. Over it. So stupid. So, Bernie was charged with first-degree premeditated murder. And the prosecutor, Danny Buck Davidson, played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie. He all made that- right, all right, <laughs> yeah. all right. Look. <laughs> um, he made the argument that Bernie was stealing money from Marjorie throughout their friendship. Mm-hmm. And that he, altogether, it was said that he stole around $3.8 million dollars. And he argued that he was taking her money, manipulating her accounts, Mm -hmm. and even forging signatures on, like, checks to live this lavish lifestyle of seeing Broadway plays, going on trips, airplanes. Mm -hmm. And he says that Marjorie, no, that Bernie killed her because he was about to be found out for what he was doing. Okay. And the Mrs. Nugent's family agrees with this motive. They said that Bernie marked her. When her husband died because she bought him a very expensive headstone for like $30,000, which I don't know. I know funerals can be very expensive, but they says that basically once she did this, he kind of decided he wanted to get into her life and take as much money from her as he could, which she was like old lady, like 80 years old. He was really charismatic. So it was a pretty easy task if that's what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And the people in the town, though, even after he said, I murdered her, yes, I shot her, they were like, can we just not? (laughs) They were like, can we just not send him to prison? And they straight up did not want him to go to prison for this murder. (laughs) Which is so crazy as to that is how charming he was. It was like he put a spell over this town. Yeah, and it's kind of like they're probably like, well, I mean, maybe he did, but like... 
She might have like she was a she, she was, was crotchety. Bitch. Yeah, she was a crotchety old lady, anyways. <laughs> honestly. And so when he went to trial, though, it took the jury only 20 minutes to convict Bernie to life. Now, there was a discrepancy in the um, details here. Because on Wikipedia, it said he got 50 years. Mm -hmm. But in the movie and in the 48 hours, it said life. So I'm going to go with the 48 hours. How old was he? Shoot. Not very old. Because when he got to Carthage, he was only 27. And this happened in, like, 1996. So, I don't know, like, late 30s-ish. Because I was wondering maybe if, like... It's, like, 50 years, but, like, they might say life. Yeah. Because, like, he probably, I mean, he'd probably be, like, 80 by the time he gets yeah. out. He's in 50. I mean, like, that's pretty much his whole life. Yeah. So, it was, it was a long time, and a lot of people thought that he did not deserve that long of a time in well, jail. Well, I think that he, I mean, if he's as charismatic as they say, he probably is, like, living the high life in prison. Just Yeah, in the movie, they show him, like, making fancy meals with the prisoner. Yeah, like, I think about, like, how when Martha Stewart went to prison, how yes. she did very well, because she's yes. so resourceful. She's like, oh, well, with just this bath towel, we're able to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to make, we're going to be folding our bath towels into swans. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty you know much mean? how they uh, describe him. Um, so now here's when the movie comes in. It actually becomes a part, like, of the case at this point. So... When the Bernie movie came out in 2011, mm -hmm. his case began to be looked at again by an appeals lawyer. Oh. So I think she like saw the movie and then decided she wanted to look into it. Mm -hmm. And the movie depicts him as an amazing, kind man. He was, which he was genuinely described as, but they framed him in the movie as like clearly a pro-Bernie movie. Mm -hmm. um, and... It shows him, basically, he shot her in an act of passion. He was at his wit's end, and he was immediately, like, regretful for what he did. Mm -hmm. And both the director of the movie, Richard Linklater, and Jack Black, who played Bernie, mm -hmm. they met with him a lot in prison while they were creating the movie because they really wanted to, like, get inside his head and mm -hmm. know what had happened. And they both, like, love Bernie. He got under their little charm. He charmed. He him. should have been a salesman. He honestly should have. Which he was selling I mean, him caskets. I mean he could be selling them caskets, but I feel like he probably he probably could have made some money had he yes. actually gotten a sales job. He wouldn't have had to, you know I know con this old lady. Honestly though. And so the lawyer started working to look into getting Bernie's like case appealed mm -hmm. and she said that his sentence was unfair and a miscarriage of justice. She argued that the murder was not premeditated and that he did not deserve the life sentence. And she said that he shot Mrs. Nugent and when he did it, he was actually having a dissociative episode in which his body was not acting in accordance with his mind. So his body was acting in a way to just end the abuse that he was facing. Um, so it wasn't premeditated, which I get that argument a little bit, but at the same time, that doesn't excuse you from murdering her. Yeah. Because for me, I feel like the way I foresee it is that, like, obviously, he's conning this old lady. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like on some level, she might have finally come to him and been like, hey, listen, I feel like you're conning me. You know, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe I should put my grandkids in the will. 
And then, you know, they might have gotten in an argument and that's when he shot her. Yeah. You know, obviously, I don't think this old lady was trapping this young man. No. If anything, I think he was conning her. Similar to, there's an episode of Dr. Phil where this (laughs) older lady is clearly being catfished by this man. Yes. Like this man. Obviously, it's like someone who's conning her from a different country. Oh, yeah. And giving her a completely false identity. She is convinced that he loves her. And this woman was sending thousands upon thousands of dollars. She was bankrupting herself to send this con artist in a different country, like, this money. And she went on Dr. Phil, and her daughter was, like, trying to be like, can't you see that this is wrong? And Dr. Phil was like, we have evidence that this is, he's not who he says he is. (laughs) She could not believe it. She was like, you were lying. So, I mean, I feel like he was definitely conning her. Oh, yes. But even at this point, Danny Buck, the original prosecutor, who at first he was like, we're going to throw the book at him. At this point, even he agrees that Bernie shouldn't have gotten a life sentence. Yeah. So with all of this happening, an appeal was granted and Bernie was released from prison in 2014. While he was released from prison... Um, he lived in Austin with the director of the movie. What the about fuck? <laughs> and I said, that shit's wild. He lived in his, like, like garage apartment. Oh, yeah. And in the movie, they were like, you know, did you let your daughter, like, go play with Bernie? Or in the 48 hours? And he was like, yeah, she loved Bernie. Like, all sorts of shit. And I'm like, I get it. He's a nice guy. But he straight up murdered point blank an old lady and left her in a freezer for nine months okay i don't care how sweet he is because if you look it up i mean yeah he's charismatic even in the like documentary the 48 hours Mm -hmm. i never would have thought he would have done something like that but shit he did and while he was out of prison he started going to church again and he said he even joined a gay male choir group and they showed him singing in the group, which wow. I just, I'm drawn to these stories that center around church. <laughs> <laughs> we love that Bible belt. Oh my, for real Fuck though. Gucci belt, Bible <laughs> belt all the way. <laughs> oh, and when he was out of prison though, two new prosecutors came into office. So Danny Buck left and two new came in and they still believed that, that Bernie was a cold-blooded murderer and that he planned to kill Mr. Snoogent. They held the original argument in the second case, in, like, the appeals case. They held their original argument that Bernie was greedy and stealing money and that he killed her because he was going to get caught. And Bernie had two years of freedom before <laughs> uh, his resentencing. What the fuck? And in the second trial, it was held in Henderson, Texas. And on April 2nd, 2016, Bernie was again sentenced to 99 years in prison. And he will be eligible for full for parole in 2029 and as of april 2020 bernie is being held in the Connolly unit of the texas department of criminal justice in kennedy texas so that was the story of <laughs> bernie tita <laughs> wow well bernie that was really a roller coaster yes i'm not condoning what he did but he no. should have gotten up out of texas and he probably might have things might have been different it I think so, too. And I feel so weird about it because I can... He seems like a genuinely nice person. But I do think in the back of his mind, he was... He had something going on. I mean... Yes. He was 
a gay man in Texas in the 90s who both parents had died while before he was even, you know, out of his teenage years while also being molested by his uncle. Yeah. Which his uncle did, like, speak in the trial and he said he never molested him, but, I mean... I mean, wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you say that? So, he clearly had some stuff he needed to work through. Yeah. And so, I just don't... You need to watch the movie. And it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube for free. So, you just gotta watch it. got no choice, Because it's also kind of funny. Me and Brandon, my fiance, (laughs) (laughs) we watched it together and he loved it and so did I. And the movie, yeah, it's like documentary style and half the people... In it were, like, real people from the town mm-hmm. that were speaking, and then the other were, like, actors, but it was a crazy story that I had never heard of. Yeah, I have never heard of that. Um, I didn't know quite what to think of it when you said Bernie. I was like, I don't know. See, now, I did call him by his first name because it does sound friendly, but... He also seemed like a friendly guy. Yeah, which he clearly wasn't just, like, a... I don't think he was just a cold-blooded, crazy murderer. I think probably a lot of stuff had to fall into place for this to happen. Yes. And he, I think his family says, or her family says, that he's not regretful. I think he probably is a little bit regretful. Um, but yeah, he. you can get past the fact that he murdered her and mm-hmm. then shoved her in a freezer for nine months. And I also think Marjorie wasn't as much of a straight-up bitch as everybody said. I think it was a little bit more nuanced. I think she was probably pretty misunderstood. I think so as well. Um, Kind of like the Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly the Phantom of the Opera. She, I know, they probably didn't tell you that in the movie, but she actually had a mask that she kept (laughs) covering just the half of her face. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, I feel like this episode is probably the longest thus far. Yes, I'm so sorry that this is long, but uh, with my story specifically, I just didn't want to not include uh, key details uh, that I felt were valuable, and I also, you know, I wanted to honor the the victims. I feel that, which I feel like with murder stories, you really, you want to make sure you got the facts, because if not... That's, you know, it's worse to miss the facts and I think, like, a murder story than it is in, say, a ghosty story. Yes. So, that was the episode that was based on a true story. Yes. Please, um, if you listen to this to this point, please rate yeah, if and you, review us. <laughs> if you made it to this point, congrats. Uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. Yeah, rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Five stars, preferably. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not telling you you have to give five stars, but it would be greatly appreciated if you enjoyed it. Yes. Um, also, this episode comes out on Friday. Uh, new episodes every Friday, and then we do have something. Con- we're, we're pretty jazzed about this Jazz next. <laughs> so uh, we released our first Weird Wednesday video a few weeks ago. Our next Weird Wednesday video will come. Or not a video. What the fuck am I? <laughs> this, this is a video series. It's a podcast. Our next Weird Wednesday episode yes. will come out on August twenty sixth. So be out uh, looking for that. But hey, if you have a weird story and you want to share it with us. Um, send us, uh, an email at thisisgonnasoundweird at gmail.com, and if we feature, if we feature your story, um, on that next Weird Wednesday episode, we have gotten some 
little stickers with our podcast logo on it that we will send to you free of charge. Yeah. So, and who doesn't love a free sticker you can put on your laptop, your hydro flask? Mm-hmm. You can tell your friends to um, go listen to this here new fun podcast. Mm-hmm. Because that's usually, when I start listening to new podcasts, it's usually people say, hey, have you heard of this cool new podcast? And I'm like, no, but I will definitely check it I'll out. I'll definitely listen to it. So, um, send us your weird stories at thisisgonnasoundweird at gmail.com. The deadline to send in your story to, in order to get a sticker. You can send us a, a weird story at any point in your life. True. Um, but the deadline to qualify for a free sticker is going to be August 23rd because uh, that New Year Wednesday episode is going to come out on the 26th of August. Oh, also, if you are sending us a story and you would rather your name not be said, uh, please let us know in the email that you'd like to remain anonymous. So we want to respect your privacy. Um, also, we won't say your last name. Yeah. Um, just for the, you know, legal reasons. So murderers won't come find you. <laughs> yeah, we'll just say, like, your first name. Uh, also, we have an Instagram, if you yes. haven't followed us already. It's going to be Gonna Sound Weird Pod. We're pretty active on there. Um, we also have a Twitter, less active, but we're working on it. We're working on it, And it's yeah. uh, gonna, gonna Sound, sound weird. weird. Yep, always forget the Twitter. <laughs> um, but, yeah, give us a follow on either of those. Uh, and we will see you next week. Yes, thanks for listening. Yep, next week's theme, we probably should tell them. Next week's theme is going to be Roadside Legends. So keep an eye out for that episode next Friday. All right. Uh. Stay weird, my friends. (laughs)